Everybody talks about how many books they've read. I don't care how many books you've read this year, last year. I care about how much stuff you're putting into play. That's what matters. I would rather you read two books and put 100% of it into play than have 100 books and put 2% of it into play. And that's the reality. Bruce Lee says, I do not fear the man who knows 10,000 techniques and has done it once. I fear the man that has done one technique 10,000. Welcome to The Stripping of the Life. I'm your host, Frank Rich, and this is the only podcast in the world dedicated to helping men break free from the shackles of addiction through the power of faith and fitness. It is our goal with every episode to help you take back control and rebuild your body, mind, and spirit. And we do so by bringing you real and raw conversations with people just like you, aiming to find their place in this world while dealing with the everyday struggles and battles that we all face. Now, it is my belief that we were all created for a specific purpose. And if we can harness that belief or faith, then take control of our mind and body or fitness, then we can ultimately create the life that we've always dreamed about, our own superhuman life. I want to let you know how grateful and blessed I am to have you here with me today. Let's get on to today's show. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing and exciting episode of The Superhuman Life. As always, I'm your host, Frank Rich. And guys, first off, I just want to thank you and let you know how incredibly grateful and honored I am to have you here with me today. Uh, We have a jam-packed episode. Um, You know, it's funny because we were, I was talking with our guest, which I'll get into introducing here in a minute. Uh, I was talking beforehand, before we hit record, and he asked me, what what were my top three favorite episodes? And it was a unique question to get from a guest. And then the minute we stopped recording, I said, I think the next time I, I, I get answered that question, we may have a change in what some of my favorites were, because I can just tell you uh, that today's conversation, what you guys are about to listen to, um, in, in, my, in my opinion, and, and, and maybe this is somewhat biased here, is definitely going to rank in the top few episodes that we've done here. We're 73 episodes in, and I, and I really feel we're catching a stride uh, as a show, as a mission. Uh, I'm, I'm working to improve the guests that I'm bringing on, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in working to improve my ability to, to bring out their, their greatness, to bring out insight, uh, to bring out wisdom for you guys. And, and, and this show is really about you. So if you guys are, 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 are watching on YouTube, I just wanted to let you know how incredibly thankful I am to have you here. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you're notified every Monday when the new episodes are dropped. If you guys are listening on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, any of those platforms out there, uh, make sure to hit that subscribe button and also those ratings and reviews. You know, we need to continue to get this message in front of more people. And the best way to tell these algorithms, the best way to tell these softwares and, and, and platforms is by leaving those ratings and reviews. So if you're finding value in these conversations, do us a favor and just, just drop a rating down there um, in a five-star rate and review. Uh, but today's conversation, let me get into introducing our guest. It is none other than Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Yes, you heard that correct. Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Uh, Marcus is a proud veteran, best-selling author of The Gift of Adversity. He's a TEDx and international keynote speaker, and he's a mindset coach to leaders, CEOs, and entrepreneurs, lifelong martial artist, and creator creator of the Acta Non Verba movement, and he's also the host of the Acta Non Verba podcast. While preparing to deploy with the U.S. Army Light Infantry, Marcus suffered a severe spinal injury that left him paralyzed from the neck down. Now, after dying on the operating table, not once but twice, the surgeon saved his life 
but told him he'd never walk or use his hands again. After months of anger, suicidal depression, having no other option, Marcus started doing some brutal, honest soul searching, looking for the best lesson to be learned from his injury. Once he started seeing his adversity as a gift instead of a curse, something miraculous began to happen. Now today, Marcus now speaks, inspires, and teaches others to use their adversity, adversity with a capital A as a catalyst, to actualize their personal definition of success in every area of their life and business. His message teaches us how to how we can use our own adversity to make us into better warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and human beings to create a better world. Guys, this is a jam-packed conversation. We dive a little bit deeper. It's a little bit of a story. You know, what, what were some of the incidences leading up uh, to that injury? What was he going through mentally um, in those initial days, weeks, and months following? And then what are some practical things that we can all take away from this to really shift our perspective, begin to look at this adversity, this adversity with a capital A as he defines it? Uh, how can we begin to use this in our advantage, use this as a leverage tool to help us step into that greatness that he talks about? So this is a jam-packed episode. We, 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 we touch on modern-day stoicism. Uh, we get into some unique things that I wasn't expecting to discuss with Marcus. Um, so, so really, really excited for you guys to, to be a part of today's conversation. Uh, so without further ado, let's, let's, let's get on to today's interview. Receiving the Gift of Adversity with Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Hope you guys enjoy. We'll see you on the other side. Marcus, my brother, welcome to The Superhuman Life. What's going on, brother? How are you, my friend? Thank you for having me today. I'm honored. I'm doing amazing, man. Thank you for, uh, thank you for joining me. I know this is going to be a, an epic, epic conversation. Um, you know, getting into your book and just all the work, the work that you're doing, just this, this true story. I mean, it, it is truly remarkable. And I really, you know, we're going to jump into that here in a minute. And um, so I know you're a fan of, of, of stoicism and, and I haven't heard you talk about this yet, but this name, Marcus Aurelius Anderson, is there a story behind this with, with your parents or is it just by coincidence? No, it's actually uh, my grandfather that named me. Um, I was born on the same day that he was. We had the same birthday. And so when I was born, my father calls up his father and says, hey, you know, we had a boy. Congratulations, dad. Um, happy birthday, by the way. Do you want to name him as a birthday gift? And he's like, yeah, we need to name him something strong like Marcus, like Marcus Aurelius. And dad's like, oh, so Marcus? And he's like, no, Marcus Aurelius. And it's like... Um, it's impossible to live up to the name, obviously, but what it does is it keeps me very cognizant of being worthy of the moniker and all that I do. And, and I endeavor to do that with all the work that I'm doing now, especially after, um, that, that adversity that I encountered and the, uh, the second chance that I had, it gave me that we were talking about Stephen Pressfield, one of our mutual, um, Friends, we'll call him a friend now. Friends, I mean, yeah, I would say after we both interviewed him. But in his book, The War of Art, he says we have two lives. Most people, they have the life that they live and the unlived life within them. Between those two is resistance. And that hit me like a, a punch in the face when I read it. I read it before I was in the military, before I was injured. And then as I'm going through what I'm going through, those words kept coming back to me. The words of Marcus Aurelius kept coming back to me. The words from Taoism, Stoicism, Zen, Bushido, Budo, all those things were coming to me when I was in those places. But um, frankly, it's easy to hear something 
It's easy to regurgitate somebody else's wisdom. Mm. It's something entirely different to truly live it and then to appreciate it once you've actually gone through even a sliver of it in your own life. Amen. So powerful. We may have just broken a record here two and a half minutes into today's conversation. We can wrap it up and call it a day. It's be, a wrap, guys. This would be enough for this would be enough for side. people, but uh, we got we got a lot more to to get into there. So um, you, you briefly mentioned it there, and I and, and I think this is where uh, a really good place to start. So you know you. you talked about joining the military and then you know this injury that, that led to this adversity for you i know for you 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 didn't join the military until 36 37 very very late in life yeah. so can you cut 38 yeah so um can you kind of walk us through you know maybe maybe where you were at at, at at that point in your life you know what what kind of led you you know because it's it's so red i think you even talked about it in your book like you had to get a special exemption even from you know the military because they, they they had a uh a line drawn at 35. So, you know, where, where were you kind of, you know, at in life at, at that point in, in, in how did you kind of process that decision and what led you, you know, at 38, you know, where most men are, you know, looking towards the second half of their life, you're really looking at, at starting anew. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think that if you can hear our voices right now, the reality is there's probably something that you can think of. If I put a gun to your head that you've always wanted to do, and you've always come up with an excuse not to do it. Oh, I've got a family. Oh, I've got a mortgage. Oh, I've got this. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, my knees hurt. Oh, whatever. Well, all those things that you're doing are just basically excuses. And for me, I knew that was true, like I said, but it's very different when it's actually us. We want to be the exception to the rule. So for me, I was kind of kicking through school, going to school for different things. I went to school for chiropractic and when I was in Atlanta. And at that point, I'm 38 years old. Uh, I get divorce papers. My marriage falls apart because I was prioritizing the wrong things. In my mind, my goal was, listen, if I can just push through the last two years of school, take as many hours as I can and just grind through this thing, getting like four hours of sleep because I was bartending too. So I'm prioritizing school and money, but not my marriage. Guess what? If you don't feed something, it dies. Mm. So that was my fault. So I get divorce papers. Not long after that, my great uncle, who was in Vietnam, he was in Special Forces. He was a Green Beret. He was in recon. He was in long range reconnaissance patrols. So those are the people that they would drop off behind enemy lines. They would go out, map where the enemy was, take targets of opportunity. And that was the person outside of my father, who was my biggest male role model growing up. He's the first one to really take me hunting. I talk about him in the book with the, the fireplace of the hunt. He goes through and gave me a lot of what I now recognize as modern stoicism. But here's the reality. We know this. In the Bible, in stoicism, in Zen, in Taoism, they talk about these universal truths. The semantics of them may change, but the reality does not. Our understanding of that wisdom is ever evolving because we as people should be evolving as well, right? So by going through and seeing these things, that's where a lot of those similarities came together. So I get the divorce papers. My great uncle passes. I have two and a half years left for my doctorate in chiropractic school. I hadn't processed the, the divorce yet, obviously. And then when he passes, I'm pretty good during the funeral. I'm stoic, if you will. But when they start playing taps, when they fold the flag, when they make that right turn and they slide the flag to my great aunt and say, thank you for your sacrifice. Mm. 
We're sorry for your loss. I fall apart. I'm a blubbering, blubbering, blubbering idiot because now I can't even keep anything together. And on that, there was 21 gun salute. There was man after man that would come up and eulogize him. There was a full bird colonel who actually came to eulogize my great uncle for all these acts of valor, all these things that he had done. And it reminded me in each person, in each tier, that this is something that I've always wanted to do. And I'd always had a reason not to. Oh, I'm in school. Oh, I'm going to doctorate school. Oh, I'm getting married. Oh, I'm doing this. Listen, people, for the things that you want to do the most in your life, there will always be an excuse and a reason not to do it. Pressfield calls it resistance. And if there's a higher version of resistance, it's adversity. So there will always be an excuse not to do it. So everybody wants to prioritize all these things. But if we prioritize everything, then nothing is a priority. And that's where a lot of people get stuck. So for me, seeing my great uncle pass, seeing that I'm divorced, I have no kids. I talked to the school. They're like, we'll put your degree on pause if you go active. I go to talk to a recruiter and I walk in. I said, what's the age limit? He says, 35. He says, how old are you? I said, 38. He says, well, come talk to me. And I was like, you know, honestly, don't waste my time. If this is not going to happen. He's like, well, explain to me why you want to do this. I talked about what we just talked about. And he, he says the classic line, he's like, well, are you smart? I'm like, well, I'm talking to a recruiter at 38. Do I sound smart to you, Sergeant? But what he meant was how would I do like on a placement tap test, like an ASVAB. So having a degree in human biology already, already having a lot of other education, I crush that thing. I take a PT test. I max that out for my age group. He's like, all right, you're smart. You're in great shape. You're motivated and you're mature. He's like, you're exactly what we want. At that point in the army, you can do pretty much whatever you want if your test scores are in the right place. And he's explaining to me all these options that I would have. And I was like, I already know what I want to do. I want to follow in my great uncle's footsteps. And he says, well, you already have a degree. We can send you to officer candidate school if you'd like. And I said, well, am I guaranteed to be in the infantry? He's like, no. He's like, as a matter of fact, there's like a 1% chance that you would get through that school and be in the top percentage to be selected to be an officer in the infantry. And I said, okay, so if I went enlisted, which is what my great uncle did, he was a lifer. He was a master sergeant. I said, so I can do that. And he says, so let me get this straight. You're 38. You want to go in as an enlisted guy into the infantry and do all this grunt work, basically, instead of trying to go to OCS and do other stuff. And I was like, this is what I want. And um, we went back and forth. He tried to change my mind. And then eventually he signed the release and slid it over. He's like, hey, man, it's your life. And then six months later, I'm getting off the bus at Fort Benning, getting yelled at by guys younger than me competing against guys that are literally old enough to be my sons. But that's what I needed. I needed that full commitment. There's one level of commitment and that's total. Anything less than that, you're faking yourself out. You're lying to yourself. You're bullshitting yourself. So the idea is being there, I had no other choice. And when there's no other choice, the choice is simple. I'm in it. I'm committed. I'm at infantry school. And within the first two weeks, that's when I was my litmus test. Because to me, if my body was going to break on me, it probably would have happened then. Because that's when younger guys are breaking ankles, breaking shoulders, breaking wrists. You know, they were even fracturing parts of their pelvis because they hadn't really trained themselves leading up to it. When I had six months to get ready for the for infantry school, because you and I know that there is like civilian conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's like practical military conditioning. It's like, okay, you may look good and you can, you know, press all this weight. 
how do you do when you have 100 pounds on your back and we have to get from point A to point B quickly? It's like, oh God, I don't know. It's like, you better figure it out now as opposed to waiting until you're in infantry school because that's a bad time. And there's a lot of guys that wash out, a lot of guys that give up, a lot of guys that tap out. And you don't want to be that person. What type of what type of mental training? I mean, had had you had prior prior to this? I mean, I know you you talked about having the de- the degree. You talked about in that moment, you know, with with the the saluting of the flag and, and the twenty one gun salute or the folding of the flag, kind of having that 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 realization moment. But ha- had you been, you know, maybe studying some of these, you know, Stoic principles? You know, you mentioned the, the, the Tao Te Ching and like had you had you had you been studying this in t- your entire life, but you were you're the typical, you know, not actually taking action, just acquiring of the information. I know this is this is a this is a conversation I've had quite a bit here over the, the last couple of months with with guests. There's you know, there's the consumer and then there's the, the 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 application side. And so many people kind of get wrapped up in that constantly, constantly consuming, consuming. But from what I'm hearing is 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 you had all this mental toughness, but you you hadn't really like broken broken through yet. So what type of mental training, what type of physical training leading leading up to this point? Had you had you gone through, and and to your point specifically, that's absolutely correct. Knowledge that is acquired but unutilized is the equivalent of ignorance. Mm. Everybody talks about how many books they've read. I don't care how many books you've read this year, last year. I care about how much stuff you're putting into play. That's what matters. I would rather you read two books and put a hundred percent of it into play than have a hundred books and put two percent of it into play. And that's the reality. Bruce Lee says, I do not fear the man who knows 10,000 techniques and has done it once. I fear the man that has done one technique 10,000. So uh, I've done martial arts my entire life since I was 11. Speaking of Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee's, Bruce Lee's protege is named Guru Dan Nosanto. I have the honor of being an instructor under him. So I have direct lineage to Bruce Lee from that side of the tree. So those that knowledge from traditional martial arts at a young age, I tried to read meditations when I was younger. By, by Marcus Aurelius, and it went over my head like it was the, the, thou, the, 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 because it was, for those of you that don't know, Meditations was never supposed to be published as a book. It's literally just Meditations or Memories or Reflections that Marcus Aurelius, the emperor, is reminding himself of when he's on campaign in the Germanic Wars. Like he's on the front lines and he's like reminding himself, it's going to be cold and I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get out from under the warm covers. But yet, why would I do that? Because this is my purpose. Reminding himself that if it is endurable to endure it, to stop complaining, to understand that you cannot control the things outside of you, but you can control the way that you react to them. And within that lies your power. Again, all these truths that are fundamental to so many of us. So I had all of that philosophical notions and those ideals. But again, I I learned it when I was younger and it made sense and I applied it. But then as life gets more complex... As we get a job, as we get married, it's easy for us to just sort of, here it is, guys, listen. Your life doesn't change overnight. It changes one compromised decision after another, slowly, small bites, small shades of gray. You compromise on the workout. I'm going to short it by five minutes. You compromise on your nutrition. Uh, it wouldn't harm me this much time to have, you know, an extra one of these or less of this. It compromises it when you're in an interaction. 
I can't pay attention to this person, so I'm just going to sit there. Uh-huh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You had this completely unconnected dislike of presence. These are the areas that if we let that slip one time, Pressfield says in The War of Art, if you compromise that one time and you cave as an amateur against resistance, Bryce is likely to cave tomorrow. So here's the reality. You have to set a standard and then you have to maintain that standard every single day. We are only as good as our last workout, conversation, endeavor, thought. I, I recently did the 4x4x48 David Goggins challenge in March to raise money to stop human trafficking and child sex slavery, right? And I've been through a lot of stuff, right? However, this is in March. I still have to push myself. I still have to demand more for myself. Running four miles every four hours for 48 hours straight. And what did I do? I added the additional component of fasting. So I consume nothing but, but thought, breath, and air. So thought, breath, and water that entire time. So as I go out into it, I'm thinking to myself, so there are four separate, there, there are 12 runs that are four, four miles. So I'm running at 10 p.m., 2 a.m., 6 a.m., 10 a.m., 2 p.m., 6 p.m., and you're doing that all the way through, right? So I can either look at this as like a drudgery and it's going to suck because it, it does. There's parts of it that absolutely do, and you're not getting a lot of sleep. And then, of course, I'm drinking a lot of water, but again, there's no food in that component. But what I did was I said, okay, how is this an exercise in presence, how can I use this as an opportunity to figure out things? So Jerry Colonna, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He wrote uh, the book called Reboot. Incredible guy. Um, he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast. I had him on my podcast as well. I was on his podcast, Reboot, as well. He has a beautiful question. And if you're listening to us right now, you should probably listen to this and write it down. Jerry Colonna says, in what way have you been complicit in these things that you claim you do not want. And it is a verbal kick in the teeth. It makes you go, wow. It's a question or a statement, almost like the Pressfield statement about resistance and about the life that we live in the unlive quiet life of desperation that many people have. Because that question forces you to one, reflect on all the areas you're like, oh, I don't like my body. Really? Whose fault is that? I don't like where I am financially. Okay, what are you going to do about it? I don't like my relationship. Well, again, it takes two to tango, right? It's about taking radical self-accountability and call it extreme ownership if you're in a Jocko, call it Goggins, you know, whatever you want to talk about it. Again, just like before, all these truths are universal. It's the semantics that will actually hit you that matter the most. But the idea is I would take a question like that and then go for that run for four miles. And when I first started, you know, they were eight minute miles. And then by the end, the last three times I ran, my entire IT band on my right side had locked up. So I'm literally walking to the track, trying to stretch this thing out, running and hobbling as best I can. And then walking my way back home from the track to get myself in that place. But before I would do any of those runs, when you're in that place, if you allow yourself to have this like physical presence, almost like this movie meditation, and you take a question like what I just mentioned before, in what way have I been complicit in the things that I claim that I do not want? Just let that sort of bubble in your mind as you're running. 
one, it takes you off of the current adversity, but two, it allows you to really take that thing and look at it from a different perspective, right? They always say you cannot solve a problem from the same place from which it, it, because it became. So that makes me change my perspective, my mentality. Then there's the physicality. Then um, they talk about it in the Bible. Fasting is big. You have like another level. Uh, Pressfield would say it's almost like closer to the muse, right? That elevated level that we're trying to get to. So to me, this is like a huge biohacking experiment because there's no way that I could, because I would feel like an idiot trying to like get on social media and say, hey, look at me running the four by four by 48. That's great. And that's fine. There's people that do that. But to do it just for me, that would be self-serving. But if I'm doing it for something else bigger than me, because here's the reality, the adversity that we can endure for ourselves is, is great. But the adversity, the adversity that we can endure for others for a greater purpose is much, much stronger. So anytime, again, if I'm coaching executives or CEOs or leaders, a lot of times I'll hear them say things like, you know, what more can I do to push? Or can I push myself more? And the question should be, no, you shouldn't be asking, can I push harder? You should be asking, am I doing this for the right reason? So if you're listening to us right now and you're in a place where you feel like you're stuck or you're in a place where you feel like you can't give any more, don't ask yourself, how can I do more? Ask yourself, am I doing this for the right reasons? Because if you're not, that may be the block that may be slowing you down. And if you are doing it for the right reasons, as if by magic, you'll find an extra 10, 20, 30% to give. Right. Amen. So that's yeah, that gut check that allows you to get where you need to be. 100%. And I just, I just want to, I just want to pause kind of in this conversation because it's just extend a, a personal thank you for what you did, you know, doing the four by 48 or four by four by 48. I have a lot of friends that have done that, uh, you know, mutual friend, Danny Vega, uh, did it as well. I don't know if you know, Tom, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know, Tom Shea, uh, is, is, is well, but your, your cause that, that didn't come up in my research for you, but what you did that for human trafficking, that, that is, that is a cause that is very close to my heart. Obviously the work that I do, you know, with, with helping men with porn, there's a direct tie, uh, to those two industries. And, and I'm involved with a couple organizations here. And I got to attend an event this past weekend where probably close to $300,000 was raised uh, in just a few hours for this cause. So um, I don't know, you know, I don't know what led you to do that. But you know, from the bottom of, of my heart, you know, I want to I want to extend a sincere thank you for doing that, because it is it is in my opinion, one of the darkest strongest forces of evil that our world is facing right now. So anytime I see a man that is stepping out and, and, and leading um, for, you know, for the, for the women, for the men, um, and for the children, it, it, it oh, yeah. gets me in, in this spot. So um, I and apologize if, for, if I can, for taking us off. No, no. And if I can, if I can speak to that, uh, Nanette Ward was on the TEDx stage with me in 2017 in Columbia, Missouri. And she has a coalition, it's a Stop Human Trafficking Coalition in Central Missouri. And I actually, uh, I actually saw her in the work where like we're doing PR for the TEDx talk that's coming up and she gets a phone call and she has to drop everything. She's like, I have to go. That's all she said. And I find out later that there was nobody else to come get this woman who was in need, who was in danger who is essentially having her pimp that have found her and they have to exfil her, protect her. She has two children with her. 
They pack everything they have up in a trash bag and they get us out of there as fast as they can because they have no clue. So my goal was 10,000 and I only got to 5,000. Now here's the reality. You and I can stroke a check for 10 grand and give it to them all day. And that makes a difference. It doesn't, it's not that it doesn't. However, raising five to $10,000 through social media is so much more powerful because now everybody is forced to look at it. Everybody creates the dialogue. Everybody's telling other people about it. And even if you don't have any money, you've got that little share button. And I was on that thing like every four, every time I would run, like I would put the camera on, put the timestamp on. So you knew I was actually doing it. I would show my distance every single time. So there was never a question in anybody's mind if I was really doing the work. And what else did that do? Give me crazy accountability. So at two o'clock in the morning when it's freezing, because it's still in March at that time, and I haven't gotten a lot of sleep and I don't want to go, guess what? I've got a big deadline. I've got a priority. I have this thing that I actually need to do because I'm doing it for the right reasons. And that's the goal for all of it. And here's, and here's the part that I'll give you now. I talked to Nanette last week and, uh, she's like, I just want to thank you again. I was like, ah, oh, you know, no problem. She's like, no, no, no. You created so much stir in social media that it got the attention of the legislator in Missouri. They're now going to be given state funding and they've been recommended for federal funding. So that 5k may turn into a hundred K may turn into a quarter of a million that will make a difference to every person there, whether it be giving them food, giving them a safe place to stay, cell phone, whatever it is, this gives them a fighting chance to take their life back and to take their power back. And as you said, pornography, obviously it's, there's a direct correlation, but there are 25 different kinds of human trafficking. If you buy a t-shirt for like $6 somewhere, chances are somebody in China was in slavery to make that shirt for pennies on the dollar. And whether you realize it or not, you've contributed to that. So I'm not trying to shame people, but I am saying that this stuff, again, it's insidious. It is everywhere. And if you just yeah, want to turn a blind eye, act like it's not there, then it doesn't help change anything. It's that level of awareness. And, and we all have the ability to take some form of action. It's like that, you know, that famous Einstein quote, the world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but rather by those that sit back and watch like it's not taking place. And, and I misquoted him a little bit there. Um, and we talked about that, you know, there's a site out there that you can go in, you know, you can look in your cupboard, you can look in your closet and just, you know, just, just punch in the brand names of, of things that you're buying and it will literally spit out the number of trap or the number of slaves that you have working for you. Um, I don't want to go too, I don't want to go too off topic here with this, but, uh, for those of you guys that are new, cause I know we've had a lot of new uh, subscribers and listeners here in the past few months, just scroll back to episode 43 with Natasha Nascimento. Uh, there's an entire hour and a half long conversation going deep if you guys really want to kind of get uh, a, a deeper understanding of this. But Marcus, I definitely think I want to connect with you here after uh, today and just kind of see how we can continue, you know, to, to support each other on this. But um, that's amazing. man. once again, thank you for for that. And just I mean, I, I know with your uh, your reach that that five thousand dollars, like you said, is going to turn into to quite a bit more. Um, so let's let's just kind of get back here uh, on on topic. So. 38, we have this conversation, we get in, we're ready, infantry. Um, I know that this is kind of the catalyst for everything that you're doing now, that there were, you know, some some real life-changing moments. So, you know, we're not sucking up all the time that we have. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, kind of what took place in your life at that moment um, and how you faced, you know, the ultimate 
adversity with with a capital A and, and just kind of, you know, just 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 bring us up to speed on on kind of how we got to the point where, where we are today. Absolutely. And my TEDx talk covers this a little bit. The book obviously does as well. But for me, what happened was I got through infantry school, got through advanced individualized training, got stationed in upstate New York at Fort Drum, about 20 miles south of the Canadian border. Um, and as we're preparing to deploy and it's negative 20 degrees outside and it's freezing and uh, you're trying to do these ruck marches with half your body weight on your back for 25 miles at like a little run kind of a pace because you have to get there quickly. My body started having some issues. My, my fingers started getting numbness and my hands started getting numbness. But I assumed that was just because we had been out in the field training for so long. Eventually, the numbness wouldn't get better. Eventually, we'd come back in from the field and it would still be, still be very cold. I have a hard time doing it. Eventually, it got to the point where one morning I tried to get out of bed. I tried to roll out of bed. And my neck will articulate a little bit, but the rest of my body won't move. Now, at this point, I'm, I'm 39. I'm almost 40. And there's part of me that kind of giggles. It's like to myself, it's like, oh, the old man's sore, you know, doing all that training, right? But quickly that chiropractor in me comes back and it's like, you still can't move. So now I do the scan in my mind. It's like, okay, this is either a serious neurological event or this is something that's going to just sort of right itself quickly. And then it reminded me of all the symptomatology that I had. And I was like, wait a minute, this sounds like something pretty serious. Sure enough, I have somebody pound on my door that's waiting for a report. And I just yell through the door, I can't move. I'm not the kind of guy that really messes around with that kind of stuff. And so they're like, all right, we're going to break the door down and come get you. I was like, roger that, do what you got to do. Um, rush to the hospital. I ruptured a disc in my neck. And that disc, now there are people that rupture discs or have, you know, like bulging discs. But when a disc actually ruptures, it's like what happened to Christopher Reeve whenever he broke his neck and was paralyzed from the neck down. It was at that same vertebral level. So at C5, from here down, there is no communication between my brainstem and the rest of my body. There's no cerebral spinal fluid that's, that's flowing. There's no neurological impulses getting beyond that. So it's like your spine is a hose and there's a big foot on it, not allowing anything else to, to communicate. I was having a hard time breathing. I wasn't able to use my, like my bowels or anything. So this is serious. They send me there and as dumb as this sounds, as a soldier, I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope this doesn't take long. Man, I hope they can just give me a shot because we're getting ready to deploy. You know, I, my guys are counting on it. But there's what we hope will happen. There's what we fear will happen. And then there's what actually happens. Long story short, they put me under the knife and I end up flatlining on the table twice. When I wake up in the ICU, um, the surgeons say, listen, the good news is you get to live to tell the tale. The bad news is this is what you're going to be left with. And so at 40 years old, I'm in an ICU, broke, divorced, bedridden, and paralyzed, trying to figure out what the hell do I do now? Is this even real? Anytime that we go through any kind of hardship, there's the stages of grief. There's denial, anger. There's the place of bargaining, depression, and then eventually we accept it. But it's not that simple. We'll be in denial for a while. I was in denial for a week until they took me out of the ICU and put me back at the base. And that's when the anger kicked in. And that's when Pressfield's words came back. That's when all the stoicism and all the Zen and all the Taoism came back. All these things reminded me of all the opportunities that I'd had 
and all the times I'd wasted it, and all the compromise I had had, and all the resistance that I allowed to be justified. Here's the thing. We, will, we can rationalize anything. Even a serial killer rationalizes what they do, right? But if we take that word, these are rational lies. This is something that is rational that we will believe. So Prestel talks about how resistance is insidious because it knows us inside and out. It knows what kind of a lie that we would buy. So if you're trying to rationalize things, remember that last part of that. If you're rationalizing stuff, you're lying to yourself. And there's something that's holding you back, whether that be the fear of success, whether that be the fear of failure, whatever that fear is. But the thing is, if you want to be anything above mediocre, if you want to figure out what you're truly capable of and even scratch the surface of what your potential is, you have to get to a place where you're not afraid to be uncomfortable and you're not afraid to be uncomfortable around those of you that are uncomfortable with you being in that place. Joining the military at 38, you know how many people told me I was crazy? Oh, everybody. Doing the four, yeah, doing the 4x4x48. Four by four by You've already done so much, Marcus. Why are you doing that? That's crazy. Yeah, that's my litmus test. If you're not being told that what you're trying to do is crazy or telling them what you would like to do or what your vision is, then you ain't thinking big enough, brother. You got to get to that play. So for me, that's when I started seeing what I was going through, trying to figure out what the hell do I do now? And that's where I kind of hit that rock bottom. I was literally suicidal. You know, let's be honest. I wanted to, to die more than anything, but I couldn't even take my life in my state because of the physicality. So I felt like the ultimate victim. What do you feel it is with, I mean, I know, I know you coach and work with a lot of people from, you know, high performers, entrepreneurs, athletes, and, 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 and so forth. So where do you, where do you see most people, you know, falling into this, this rationalizing or, or where do they, you know, limit themselves the most? Is it, is it due to upbringings? Is it due to just self-doubt in their own abilities? Is it, environments like where do you where do you feel most people um have you know have this biggest barrier or or the biggest limits that they're that they're holding themselves back through and all those things play a role in it like you said if you have a good upbringing maybe you, you believe in yourself more than the average person uh what i have found though a pattern is that a lot of people maybe we have a few attributes that we're good at maybe we have a few things that we're good at maybe we're naturally strong naturally athletic naturally smart naturally charismatic, whatever it is. And what seems to happen is people just lean in towards those things. So an example in the military is you have like a, a young 19 year old guy. Every guy that enters the infantry is an alpha. So it's a big pissing contest all the time. So every guy that's in there was like the, the hometown hero. He was a quarterback or he was in great shape. But the thing is, those guys are good physically. But then when you put them in a position where it's like, okay, Here's the ranger handbook and we're getting ready to go on a patrol. You have to learn what this is in the next six hours. And then we're going to execute against it. Oh yeah. By the way, we're not going to get a whole lot of food and water or sleep between now and then go. The idea is to make them uncomfortable. The idea is to show them these areas where there's a glaring weakness. And many of these guys that are naturally athletic, they've never faced any real adversity in their life because they've been the ones that have dictated the pace up to that point. They've been in control. They're the one that's pushing somebody else and saying, Hey, suck it up, buttercup. But when the table is turned, they do not want to have to do the work. They do not want to fall down. They do not want to admit to themselves, hey, I'm not good at this. 
And that to them, especially mentally, if you have like a younger person, like 18, 19, 20, who's always succeeded, who's always been the best, that's a hard pill to swallow. So for a lot of them, it was this idea of not being able to recognize their weaknesses. So as a CEO or as a coach, if they're not able to realize, listen, I can't do everything and be smart enough and humble enough to hire somebody to do that or to trust the people that you already have in that position to do it, right? Because a lot of people, they want to be in control of everything, but that just means they don't really trust people. So if you're the bottleneck, if it's like 300 and, and you're at Thermopylae, why are you paying these people? Why are you trying to do everything? We, we should be only doing the things that we're really great at that's really in our wheelhouse if we're trying to build something, right? So that's why I'm stepping into this. That's why adversity is my thing. And people say, are you a financial coach? Are you a business coach? Are you a mindset coach? Are you a leadership coach? Yes, because every single of those things will have adversity in it. And you have to figure out what are you willing to do? 2020, last year, right? My business has exploded because of that. Because people now that have businesses that had 200 employees, now they're like, we have to cut it down to 50. And we're doing everything remotely now. So how can you make a meaningful pivot in that environment and still maintain your integrity as a company and still maintain a top line that will protect the bottom line as well? Those are the real world questions where if you have something and you understand the, the philosophical notions well enough, you can apply it everywhere. But if you're like a lot of people where they want to consume something and they have the next book that they want to read or the next $297 course that they want to just you know go to, it doesn't mean anything. If you do not put it into play, you're just wasting your time. You may feel good. You may be able to regurgitate something or a fact to somebody else and impress them. But in the end, it comes down to, are you willing to face adversity? Are you willing to do the work? Adversity strips away all the stuff that we are not. So people say that it reveals who you are. No, it just strips away all the stuff that you're not. And it gets down to who you really are. And that's a, that's a rough question. So for me, for six, well, for four months, lying in a bed, having to unpack everything in my life, from my parents' divorce to my own divorce, that was a lot of work. There was a lot of anger there. There was a lot of resistance there. There was a lot of adversity that I was facing. For me, I had to figure out something to counteract all the anger that I had. And for most people, the opposite of anger or the opposite of hate is love. But for me in that bed, I didn't have a lot of support, frankly. So I had to find something else that stemmed from, from love and it was gratitude. And I know people talk about it, but I'm not talking about that bullshit gratitude that everybody's pushing. That everybody uses their little cursive, you know, journal to, to write gratitudes in. Most people that I find that talk about a gratitude practice are grateful for the things that they like. In this life, that's not how it's always going to be. As a matter of fact, if even half of your day is great, the other half is crap. If you're just throwing that away, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, you're missing a huge opportunity. So for me, I found that I had to say, okay, take myself out of the equation. Did anybody benefit from me being hurt? And I was like, no, 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 no. After a few months, finally, it was like, actually, if I'd have been in Afghanistan, that means that my team would have been compromised because for every one man that is injured in combat, it takes two to pull into safety. So I would endanger my team, my squad, a squad would have had to cover down, a Chinook helicopter would have had to fly in to come get me, right? 
that's a pretty big target with an RPG into a hot zone, right? So for me, and we know this when we sign the papers, we, we get it. However, that place in my life, realizing that 50 or 60 other people's lives would have been put in harm's way, if this had happened over there, that was the cornerstone upon which I could build true gratitude. Because I remember saying to myself, almost like I was outside of my own body saying, wow, I'm lucky. And when I had that initial stone to build on, I became grateful for the bed that I may never get out of and the room that I may never leave. And a week after I started having that radical, true 360 gratitude, I started getting a little bit of feeling back in my left hand. That was the beginning. And that was the part of it. Now, here's the part that Stephen Pressfield thought was impressive. There's a part of me that, and I don't talk about it in the book, there's a part of me that had that hubris, that arrogance that the soldier got that swagger. I was like, see, I knew I could overcome it. If I could overcome this death thing, I should be able to walk this thing off. But when I did that, I slipped back. I slipped back to square one over a couple of weeks, as a matter of fact. So Prestel was pointing out, he's like, listen, when you're almost finished is whenever resistance hits you the hardest and it can, again, we can create these rational lies. See, I knew I could do it. That wasn't the big of a deal. When I went back to that place again and I went through all that cycle of anger again, it felt like I was a victim, but then I realized, no, 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 no. I'm going to go back to where I was. I'm going to go back to this thing that worked for me before. And you really have to believe it. And that was the beginning again of slowly moving forward. And then after a year of occupational therapy and physical therapy, I was able to actually make that change. And I'll be honest, there's always that part of me in the back of my mind that's concerned that if that I'll get injured again and I'll be back in that place. So that is my resistance. That's my adversity. So doing the 4x4x48, four by four by I'm not a runner. So there were a lot of rational lies that I have to call myself on as well. And that's a difficult thing. But until we actually push to where we're worth, we'll, we'll continually under-index everything that we can possibly do. And the way that we conduct ourselves in the face of adversity is an indication of how you will do everything else in your life. And that's the reality. So if you face adversity in business and you back down, that will bleed over into your relationship, into your personal development, into your diet, into your exercise, into your prayer, all those things. So you have to understand that the way that you're doing this as the litmus test carries over into everything else that you do. And if you're not willing to face that fact and you just want to pacify yourself with alcohol, pornography, whatever's on TV, whatever everybody else is watching on the game, that's fine if that's what you would like to do. But admit to yourself that you are artificially pacifying yourself because you do not want to look at what's really going on. And if you want to do that, you can spend your entire life doing that. As a matter of fact, we have generations of people doing that as we speak. But as for me, being given a second chance at 40, to reattack my life, to tell myself that I would rather die of thirst than drink from the cup of mediocrity a second time. That's how I live my life every day and I never look back. I find the gift and adversity in everything, whether it be the guy that gives me the finger in traffic on the way into the interview or the person that I hold the door open for that looks at me because I don't have on whatever t-shirt or whatever paraphernalia that they think is, is neat, right? The goal is 
Adversity is a gift because it shines a light on all the stuff that you're not working on. And that's your opportunity to learn. And if you can disengage your ego and not be butthurt about it, you can learn a lot. Yeah, I love what I love what Pressfield shared with you and, and maybe just kind of bringing it, you know, down a level to where it can resonate with more people. It instantly jumped in my mind, you know, I was sharing with you before we hit record, like, you know, a lot of people came to know me through, you know, health and fitness and, you know, everybody has experienced an attempt at weight loss or an attempt at a physical transformation. And here's what happens. You wake up early, you know, you hit the gym first thing in the morning, you follow the diet, you know, through breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then it's that late night, you know, right before you're getting ready to go to the bed, you know, the the desserts are calling you from from the cupboard or maybe you made it all six days through through the weekend and then it's that sunday you know afternoon you're a little bit you know kind of laid back and, and and things are just a little more lax lackadaisical and you find yourself you know munching on a on, on a bag of chips it's like you were close to completion whether it was a day or a week or even you know a 30-day that's why 30-day challenges are so incredibly powerful or or the 75 hard you know how many people attempt and just have to keep attempting keep attempting keep attempting if you can't go 75 days of completing something. So maybe most people won't, you know, can't resonate with, you know, what, what you shared there with, you know, getting a little bit of the feeling back in your hands and then losing the gratitude. Maybe, you know, if, if you're not an entrepreneur, you don't know the feeling of getting a project to 90% completion. And it's like that last 10% is, is the hardest part. And this is something that I struggle with still to this day. I have, you know, multiple things that are, that are this close. And I find myself just through, shiny object syndrome just jump to the next thing and it's like no you got to get this you got to get this this is still my biggest call it resistance or adversity you know we, we're kind of using the words interchangeably here so talking about the gift you know the gift of adversity you know this is this is your book this is this is your tedx talk you know i i i, I feel a lot of people you know go through these uh you know they, they go through these rock bottom moments and, and you hear so many transformational stories of somebody hitting rock bottom, you know, yours is a very unique story, you know, losing, you know, losing all sense of movement and, and, and feeling and, and you, you knew about it, but this has really kind of been your, you know, your ultimate breakthrough for me, it was, you know, people know my story here, you know, uh, you know, struggling with addiction, kind of getting awareness, but then I, you know, I, I built this, you know, shield of a body through physical training and bodybuilding that I had to kind of have get stripped away. And that kind of, you know, really was, was an enlightening moment for me. So a lot of people experience it, but does everybody have to go through a, a, a moment like this or, or are there steps that people can take to prepare themselves to receive the gift of adversity prior to having experience like an eye-opening moment or, or a rock-bottom moment? Every single person will have to get punched in the face and knocked down mm. in some way, shape, or form, and it will be specific to them. Um, there are things that I give people, I call them micro-adversities, so working out, diet, meditation. I'm doing 75 hard right now as we speak. So these are things that are small adversities that allow you to have a little bit more resilience, be stronger. But the reality is all those things can help you have a chance to survive adversity. But when you get that real kick in the teeth and it's unique to you, here's when you know you're actually at that place to learn. You feel like you should be the exception to the rule. That's the hero's journey. That's when you're to the place where it's like, man, I can't believe it. I lost my job. My girlfriend, you know, left me my, my car. Like it's like a country Western song, that place where you don't feel like you can go on anymore, where you feel like nobody else understands what it's like to be you. They don't, but we don't know what it's like to be anybody else either. 
everybody has to go through this in some way, shape or form. And I don't know an entrepreneur. I, and here's the other thing. If you haven't experienced this adversity yet, you're already in it. And that adversity that you're feeling is mediocrity, right? A fish cannot see the water. So if you're living, you know, if you're capable of making millions of dollars and you're only making a hundred grand a year because you feel comfortable, because you're making more than these losers around you that are making 75 grand, right? You're drinking the mediocrity Kool-Aid. You're just swimming in it and you don't even realize it. You're just taking the easy route. You're doing just enough to get by. Maybe you're doing a little bit better than other people. But adversity never allows you to do that. It shows up unannounced at the most inopportune time. Doesn't care about our feelings. And it doesn't take no for an answer. And that's it. If you've ever had your back up against the wall and you don't know what to do next, welcome to the gift of adversity. That's it. For everybody that's that's listening, when you said everybody needs to get punched in the face, they're kind of like, oh, no, not, not me. They just got punched in the face when you said you're living you. through it right yeah, now. Especially you. Go right now. Read that. Listen to that part so. again. <laughs> Once again, wow. Non nonstop here. Um, Let's talk about, uh, you know, vic victim mindset. I want to maybe take a little bit of a different, you know, uh, 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 approach here. Maybe, maybe somebody listening to this right now has, has gone through their adversity and, and they're, you know, they're already working through it. So, so they're, you know, they're not maybe themselves the, the victim mindset, but maybe somebody in their life is what, what advice can you give to somebody that can pass along to somebody else? Because many times you know, if, if you're living through this and, and I don't know if you've experienced this, you know, I've experienced this in, in, in personal relationships and in, in, in my own life, you see, you see the adversity there and you see the person, you see their strengths, you see their, their superpowers in and of themselves, but they're so wrapped up in the struggle and, 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 and living through, through a victim mindset or victim mentality. So what, if anything, can you say to somebody that maybe has somebody else in their life? that is going to that adversity, but hasn't really identified it than themselves. Is there anything you can say to somebody? Is there anything you can do for somebody? Or do they just have to, you know, continue to get kicked in the face, continue to get punched until they become to that ultimate, you know, wake up moment? Or is there anything you can pass along to somebody else? If you know somebody that's in the victim mindset right now, that's close to you or that you love or you care about very much, this is the only thing that you can do. Nothing. You can tell people things and people will listen to what you say, but if you really want to change them, people will do what you do. If I want to truly lead people, I can wax poetic all day. I can get on all the social media and all the podcasts and speak on thousands of stages all over the world, but the people may not put what I put into play because again, they want to consume like this, this huge buffet, right? But my fiance, who's about to be my wife, did not want to do 75 hard and I never asked her to. My stepdaughter is like, I need more discipline. So after the four by four by 48 challenge, we go out to dinner because I'm starving, right? And she's like, wow, that's so incredible, blah, 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 blah. I wish I was as disciplined as you were. And I was like, honey, nobody's built discipline. Nobody's born discipline. It's a practice. It's like meditation. You try it every day. It's like working out. 60% of your workouts are going to be the same. 
20% are going to be amazing. 20% are going to be crap, but it's about the practice. It's about showing up. It's about the routine. It's about laying one brick perfectly, not building a wall, lay this one brick perfectly right now with every amount of presence, every amount of perfection that you possibly can to completion. And then doing that again, over and over again. So she was like, what can I do? And she's like, what's the 75 hard thing? And I was like, get the app. She downloads the app right there as we're waiting for dinner. She's like, wow, two workouts a day. One has to be outside. I have to drink a gallon of water. I have to take a progress pick. I have to read 10 pages a day. That sounds like a lot of stuff. I'm like, it is. She's like, but so she's a college student. And I was like, tell you what, she's teetering. I was like, I'll give you $200 cash if you finish this thing. Now that sounds like a lot of money to a 19 year old who doesn't have a job right now. Right. And I was like, you want to do it? I pull out the $200 and sit on the, on the table right there. I was like, how about now? She's almost there. And then my fiance sees, she's like, if you commit to doing it, I'll do it too. So they all downloaded the app and we all started. Now she fell off, but the main thing is, even though she's not doing all of that, she has a routine. She gets up, she has a mindful practice. She's drinking water. She's working out. She has accountability and she has something. So I'm saying that I didn't ask either of them to do anything, but by seeing me do it over and over and over again, see me getting up in the morning, see me getting up and put on 75 pound rucksack and, and 25 pounds of plate mail and walking out in the snow when they're asleep, when it's like, oh, it's shivery, it's cold out. Oh, it's wet outside. Well, Mark is going for a run anyway. My goals don't care about the weather. My goals don't care about the outside environment. Nobody cares about that except for me. And that's my goals that I care about. Anything outside of that. So you can try to give people a book or have them watch an inspirational movie. But the idea is they have to fall down. They have to get to a place where the pain of staying the same is more than the pain of changing. And that's a classic you know, self-help line, but it really means a lot if you think about it. And any place, if you're in a place where you haven't really hit that rock bottom yet, it's coming. Don't worry. And if you have hit that, here's the thing. It never stops. The hero's journey never stops. I get, okay, so I get out of the military. I'm 180 pounds, lean, mean, fighting machine. Get out 230 pounds. Lost a bunch of body, lost a bunch of like muscle mass. I'm, I've gained a bunch of weight at that point. And I'm like, what the hell do I do with my life now? I'm out, I'm recovered. I can't go back to chiropractic school because I still have nerve damage in my hands. I don't want to go back and do anything else with this degree. I don't want to do medical dosimetry or something because that to me is not going to help enough people. So I have to go back to the beginning, which is what the hero's journey is, which is I went back to the martial arts and I started just doing simple things. Can I make a fist? Can I punch? Can I keep my hand up? Can I pull out a blade? Can I actually slowly, precisely, can I do it with my other hand? Can I move? Can I do these things? That was the beginning for me. So I let go of all expectation, just like when I was injured, because I desperately wanted to recover, but I didn't want to look at the, the stuff that I didn't take care of in front of me that I was stumbling over. So I had to unpack those things to get to that place. It's the same thing with this. My One of my first students it was actually a private student became one of my first coaching clients because he said because i could take the analogy of what we were talking about with the philosophical notion and we would go to lunch and he would say you know i'm this is going on in my business he had he had a business and i was like what we just worked on apply that here 
after a few months of that, he's like, man, I've got a business coach that I'm paying a bunch of money to, and I'm getting more value out of it than with you than I am with him. And I was like, well, just write me a check. I was being a smart ass. He did. He wrote me a check for six months and like slid it over to me. And I was like, wow. He said, how do you want to do this? And I said, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And I'll give you the martial art lessons for free. And so truly understanding and living that, that knowledge can it be applied to everything. And that gave me more clients. That's where I got my first speaking engagement. That's where I was offered my TEDx talk. That's where I started writing my book. But if you would have asked me, do you want to write a book? No. We understand from press. So writing a book is painful. Finishing a book is painful, right? Yeah. Writing is not difficult. Sitting down to write is difficult because of resistance, right? So for me, it was like, okay, I have this, this person at this speaking event that tells me I want to buy your book. Ma'am, I don't have a book. And she's like wagging her finger at me. Like I'm like, it's irresponsible for me to tell my story and not have a book. What she was telling me was she was like, listen, she had a granddaughter who was going through divorce. She's like, if you had a book, I could give it to her and this would help her. So if you listen to your audience long enough, eventually they'll tell you what they want. And so I was like, I mean, I didn't want to do it either because what else? Hard. For us as humans, when we face adversity, once we're away from it, we, we want to put as much distance between us and that as we can. We want to get away from it. But for me, because I still have like numbness on my hands and my feet to an extent, I am always tethered to that adversity. So I never forget where I came from. I never forget what it felt like. And I always keep that in mind. So in the mornings when everybody's like, I'm grateful for this, this, and this, I'm like, I'm grateful for the adversity. And this is what it taught me. So that's what still made have that me today. push. I do. Yeah. It's as, as a matter of fact, like it feels like I have big gloves on. So that's why I couldn't go back to chiropractic school because if I tried to palpate your spine, I could feel something, but not to the extent that would actually correct the cause the way that it should. And so again, there's all these, these paths and it's like, okay, I've recovered. So I'm done. And I'm going to go back to this. Nope. Now what? So again, adversity shows up. And what we have to do is take that as an opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned it briefly here with, with you. And, and once again, I know a lot of people here know, know my story. So, you know, two days after, you know, really realizing that, that I was ready to move past, you know, porn, I ended up, you know, it probably been the first time in, in, I don't know, two decades I'd gone without it. And I got so angry and, and, and frustrated. I ended up putting my hand through a wall multiple times. And on the third shot, I hit the beams in the wall and it literally like shattered all the bones in my hand. So I, it, it never, it didn't set properly. So I had this constant reminder on my right hand of, of where I was and where that led me to. And it's just, it's, it's that daily thing. I mean, multiple you, you, people see me in church all the time, kind of when I'm, you know, when I'm worshiping, I'm always just kind of like reminding myself, like, you know, it's, it's, it's always there. So I kind of, kind of get the thing with, with the feeling there. So, um, you know, it's funny it's mo multiple times today when, when you were talking about how you work with your clients, it was kind of, coming to my mind. I have a hard time kind of defining what I do. You know, I know I, I, I work with men removing porn out of their life, but it's, it's so much deeper. You know, some men, we help them in their business. Some men, we help them in their fitness. Some men, we help them in, in their relationships. And, and, and it's kind of come to me like I'm an adversity coach, but a very specific adversity of these guys have this habit of, you know, this compulsion or this addiction, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, the word doesn't really matter, but that's their adversity because they can't get past it. That's their pacifier. You know, they, they escape the real world to go and seek out this, 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 this fantasy world. So this has been so, yeah, this has been just, I, I could talk to you for, for days. I feel like, 
Um, I'm going to bring it home here and, and obviously give you a chance to to kind of share where where people connect with you. I wanted to ask you something because, I mean, just hearing you speak, obviously, so well read and, and we're going to get your book plugged down there below. You know, do you have, you know, three books, five books, like, like, like what are, what are kind of some of your top books for guys, whether they, you know, they want to learn more about stoicism, they want to learn more about uh, habits or discipline or, or wisdom. Just do you, do you have kind of like your go-to three, three to five books for guys out there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first one that I would recommend is the one that we were talking about was Pressfield, the war of art, that yeah. book will kick you in the ass and call you on all your BS. Um, his writing, I've had people say my writing looks like his, which is a compliment, but that's kind of, again, that's where I was like, I just want to get right to it, tell a great story, but also get right to it and, and punch you in the face so that you get the attention necessary. A second book that I'd recommend is called Thick Face, Black Heart by Chin and Chu. She has since passed away, but it's an incredible book based on, a, it's almost like a Machiavellian book. Um, I did a podcast on it on my Octonon Verba podcast, and one of the quotes of it says, in the Bible, right, they talk about turn the other cheek. In the book, it says there's a time to turn the other cheek when you're slapped, and there's a time to slap back twice so that you are never slapped. And here's the thing. A lot of people feign humility when they turn the other cheek. But in actuality, they are a coward because they do not have the resolve or the skill set to strike back, right? So again, in what areas have I been complicit in these claims that I don't like? If you're not in shape, you better get in shape because something could happen where your life or somebody else's life may depend on it. Whether it be your cholesterol levels or how much you can bench, get that under control, right? These are areas that we control at all times. So understand that. So Thick Face, Black Heart, uh, The War of Art. Um, those are the ones that are coming to mind right now. There's a million other variations that you can do, uh, but those are the, the top ones I would start with. And here's the thing, guys. Read those books and get done with it and then read it again and then dog ear that thing and beat it up and then read it one more time and underline everything and take notes. Act like that book is your lifeline because if you act like it is, it will be. How many times have I had people are like, oh, I read four books, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, tell me two things about the last three books that you read. Uh, well, it was really good. Like if they talk about the war of art and they can't tell me about resistance and going pro and the amateur, they can't give me that. You weren't paying attention, right? If you read my book and you're like, oh, the first is a gift, it's like, fantastic. Give me some examples because I go through all kinds of stories in there to get your attention to prove the point. And if you can't remember any of those, then I haven't done my job. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned it. You mentioned it back towards towards the beginning here. You know, these these great works of art, you know, these great books like they're they're, they're timeless and you will extract, you know, different lessons. Things will jump out to you based upon where you're at in life. You know, I shared this with with Pressfoot. I originally read. The War of Art back in early 2017 when I was developing my first uh, fitness ebook, and you know it, it helped me a lot to get through that. And and then I read it in preparation, uh, you know, reread it in preparation for for the interview with him. And it was just like, whoa, I didn't even know this was in there, you know, because I wasn't ready for it. And and now I'm at a different stage in my life. I'm in a different stage in my career, and I need different things. So these timeless books, they're they're 
there, there's something that you, like you said, you dog it there and you, you read them, you know, every year, every, every few years. Like for me, one of them is Think and Grow Rich, you know, Think and Grow Rich. It's a book that I read every single year, you know, in January. Um, so we'll get all this stuff plugged, plugged down there below. I think a lot of people got punched in the face again there uh, with that humility and, and cowardness line as well. So uh, Marcus, this has been absolutely incredible, brother. I appreciate you so much. Um, there's going to be a lot of people that, that want to connect with you, want to learn more about you. So we're the best places to, to find you online where you're hanging out socially. You mentioned the podcast there. So, uh, you know, run through your kind of elevator pitch here. And so some people connect with you who want to get in touch. Absolutely, brother. They can find me on Instagram. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on Twitter. They can find me on Facebook. Um, I put out content, but I just put out what I feel is quality content. I'm not on there four times a day. Um, which there's nothing wrong with that, but I have other things going on. Um, the TEDx talk is free. It's 13 minutes of your mm. life. I think that'll help Worth people. It. My book, The Gift of Adversity, I think if you like what we've been talking about today, that will serve you in any arena. You mentioned the audiobook is out now. Um, and I I tried to pour myself into to all those things. You can find my website, marcusrealisanderson.com if you want to order the book. It's on Amazon. Um, I'll be speaking at StoicCon next month with Ryan Holiday and Donald Roms Donald Robertson. Um, if you're into stoicism, that'll be awesome. Um, and I think that that's, that's on event. I mean, it's a virtual event. So it's, I think that's cost like a dollar to watch 30 speakers. So that's, if you're into stoicism at all, that's an incredible one to, to check out. And then I'll be speaking at Tony Blower's event in, in Florida. Um, he has a big self-defense event that he's going to be doing. Tony Blower is like the king of all like real practical martial arts. He talks about fear. He talks about all these ideas. Um, I love him because he was one of the people that made a lot of sense to me where you can have all this knowledge again, but once fear hits you and the adrenaline dumps, all that stuff goes out the window. So if you can't have that very first step and figure out how do you deal with fear, what's your predetermined idea of what fear is? And if you just put your fingers in your ears and act like it's never going to happen, you will be the first victim in the fight. So I'll be talking to his event. That's going to be incredible stuff. So. Awesome. And then and, the, and the, guys, podcast, yeah. the podcast is called Octodon Verba. It's Latin for deeds, not words. As you mentioned, um, we just, I just had Pressfield on. Uh, part one dropped yesterday. Part two will drop next week. But uh, yeah, if you like what we're talking about, it's about trying to go through and actually put this stuff into play. I do warrior, warrior episodes, um, warrior wisdom. So the book I mentioned, Thick Face, Black Heart. I do an episode on that to give you a synopsis because I want you to get the, the big parts. So yeah, if, if the, whatever your medium is, I, I used to just be like the old school guy that like read that did books because I, that's what I loved. But then the podcast, I realized that if I can actually get to more people and meet them where they are, the, the book, the audio, the, the podcast. Yeah. That's where you have to yeah, do it. No, you, you, you definitely, your gift is, is, is your voice, your ability to, articulate thoughts in a, in a powerful and meaningful way. Like and you, you punch people in the face with, but in a subtle way, like I, I, I love it. And, and if you guys, heard, you know, you, you felt the, the passion uh, in his voice today, the audiobook of gift of adversity, he brings that same energy and, and, and passion. You can just, you can just feel, feel the heart coming, coming through the words. So appreciate you so much, brother. We have one question that we end up at, and we'll get all that stuff plugged down for you guys there, there below. I definitely recommend checking out the TEDx talk. Um, I'll link, I'll link the podcast. I'll get all the info for, for these upcoming events. I think I'm going to check out this, the Stoicon, a big fan of, of Ryan holiday and, um, 
definitely think that's that, that that's worth it at, at at that price point. I mean, it's 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 almost a no brainer. Um, so yeah, we'll get all that stuff plugged down for everybody here below. So we have one question. Obviously, we end every episode with um, you know it's it's obviously the show is called the Superhuman Life. You know, it's really a result of you know like I was telling you beforehand. You know, my own story, my own transformation, you know, kind of did this whole life thing kind of on my own for 35 years, kind of, you know, just thought I was kind of, you know, had every answer, every figured figured out. And, you know, I went through a series of moments just kind of getting, you know, humbled, kind of brought down. And, you know, it was me truly, you know, kind of kind of finding my faith in submitting myself, you know, directly to that. So when I talk about living a superhuman life, for me, it's it's more of a kind of belief or a way, not an actual like practical definition um, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fully surrendering to, you know, call it a, a higher power, a higher power or, or, or being, uh, but then fully taking advantage of this gift of a body that we've been given. So fully harnessing uh, this vessel and, and, and truly optimizing that to its fullest degree. So I always like to get every guest take. So Marcus, how would you define living a superhuman life? If you believe in a higher power and you believe that you were created in that image, and you are not actualizing your potential, you are disrespecting that deity. Live a superhuman life. Stop allowing yourself to get off the hook. Ask yourself right now, what am I still doing that I shouldn't be? What am I not doing enough of that I should be? And start applying that stuff, and you will watch your life become superhuman. But you have to apply it. You have to choose it every day, because every day adversity will ask you if you want to quit, if you want to give up. And you have to say, hell no. That's a superhuman life to me. Powerful, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate you guys all here today. Obviously, uh, if you want to continue to support us and grow this channel, uh, you know, if, if you haven't done so yet, if you're listening on, on, on Apple, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that, hit that subscribe button on YouTube, on Apple. We appreciate those five-star ratings. We appreciate those reviews. But more importantly, if there's somebody out there in your life right now, uh, that needs to hear this, whether it's the conversation with Marcus or any of the podcasts that we've done here, uh, do us a favor, just share this, share this with them. Uh, but we love you guys so much. So thankful for you sticking around with us here today. For Marcus, Frank Rich, we love you guys. We'll see you next week.